Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. Well, let's get right to our international news review with Trisha Craig, the VP of Engagement and Senior Lecturer, Global Affairs, Yale NUS College. Trisha, great to have you with us again, as always. Great to be back. Love that Anita's here. Yeah, I know, right? I got a power triumvirate of, uh, or a biumvirate of uh, ladies in the studio today. That's right, you do. Smart, uh, smart people. I love, I love it. Um, and, of course, Steve uh, Oaken is uh, normally with us, but he is in the U.S. right now. Uh, I think he's at the Billy Joel concert or something. He said he was going to be doing something like that in New York City, so I don't know what he's up to. But he is in New York right now, and a uh, very interesting thing is going to happen in New York City on Tuesday, which is apparently the former president of the United States is going to surrender himself uh, to be formally charged uh, on this indictment. Uh, tell us, what do we know about uh, Mr. Trump and his legal woes, which just multiplied? Yeah, so this this is really quite unprecedented. A uh, former president is facing criminal charges. That has never happened before. And I think what's even more incredible is that he's running again and that he and the Republicans are fundraising off of this. Um, there's kind of no shame there. So we don't know exactly what the indictment is going to say. Um, we know there are multiple uh, counts in it. Uh, we, it's being brought by the Manhattan District Attorney, um, and it's related to the Stormy Daniels case. You'll remember she's the porn star that uh, Trump had an affair with. She, I, I think the correct term is adult actress, uh, <laughs> adult film actress. She is the adult actress <laughs> um, who got $130,000 to keep quiet. Um, and this was just before the election. Now, paying people to be quiet about sensitive issues is not necessarily illegal, right? That's the basis of NDAs. Yeah. But what can be illegal is how it kind of plays out. And she got that money from Michael Cohen, who was Trump's lawyer. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly got the money from <laughs> Trump's lawyer. And the problem is, and, and he got reimbursed for it. And it was characterized in the books as uh, legal expenses. And this is where this is where it gets tricky. The charge is expected to be violation of campaign finance laws, right? Because what they're saying is that Trump actually made a donation to his campaign and then did not declare it, which is illegal. So that's kind of the um, the crux of, of yeah. This. You can't use campaign money for as hush money. That's right. Basically, campaign finance money has to be used for very specific campaign related purposes. And anything that you're yeah. that you're spending, you have to declare. So it's a it's a violation of, of campaign fi- finance laws. Yeah. So so this is so this is the first indictment that has come down. Of course, there are other um, there are other jurisdictions that are working on things. I think there's four other, right? Georgia about the elections. In Georgia, there's uh, there's two things going on in Georgia. There's uh, and then the feds um, have something with um, so both Georgia and the and the the. The feds are looking at Trump's attempts to overturn the election, mm. um, the, you know, January 6th. But also in Georgia, um, if you remember, he, uh, Trump made that very famous recorded call to the attorney general saying, hey, we need 12,000 extra votes. You know, can yeah. we find them? So it's also about trying to overturn the Which is not cool. Those of you out there that aren't familiar with the American political system, you're not supposed to ask uh, government officials in certain states to find more votes for you. It sounds a lot like voting in Chicago in the 19th. 1950s and 60s, you know, vote early, vote often kind of thing. That's right. <laughs> okay, Trish, 
Trisha. Now, um, we're Trisha Craig, by the way, uh, on our International News Review, the Vice President of Engagement, Senior Lecturer of Global Affairs at Yale and U.S. College here in Singapore. So the indictment has come down. There's something like 34, 35 counts on the indictment, so different things are being alleged within the indictment. He is, from what I've read, expected to surrender himself in New York City to um, uh, to the, the authorities there on Tuesday to be fingerprinted, to have a mugshot taken. I mean, all the mm-hmm. things that happen with in a criminal investigation. Do we know anything more about that timeline yet, or is it is it not been announced? I yet? don't think we know about the timeline. I think what we are looking at, though, is how this is playing out in the both the political sphere and also among his supporters. Um, you know, I mean, there's been sort of talk that. You know, initially he was really kind of afraid of the perp walk. He did not want to be taken out of Mar-a-Lago in handcuffs. This way, though, he kind of gets to come in. And, you know, what's stunning to me is that 60 percent of the Republicans, the Republican base, says this could actually help his chances. Yeah. Um, And so and, you know, and you think that's kind of that's kind of crazy. But actually think about it. It's it's really not. What have we seen this week? Um, All his, you know, People that we assume are running, they're not all, they haven't all declared, but uh, his kind of presumptive challengers in the Republican Party have all rushed to defend him. Mm. Uh, Mike Pence, who, you know, on January 6th, life was actually put into jeopardy by Trump's. And, uh, and he's been very critical in recent months critical. of yeah. the former president. He called this an outrage. Uh, DeSantis came out and, you know, in a very sort of grandiose way said, well, he was not going to, you know, permit the extradition from Florida to to New York. And Nikki Haley, uh, you know, came out and talked about that this was, you know, a black mark on democracy. So he's got his he's got his supporters coming. Mm. Uh, sorry, he's got his, um, you know, challengers coming to defend him. He has been sort of teasing this indictment for a couple of weeks. If you remember uh, about two weeks ago, he said he was imminently going to be arrested. Yeah. Uh, and has really kind of you know, almost crossed that line into inciting violence. Last weekend, he was at a rally in Waco, Texas, where he had a very kind of apocalyptic, uh, you know, language about the the sort of ultimate battle that this meant. Hmm. He's he uh, Alvin Bragg, who is the Manhattan district attorney. He's the first uh, African-American district attorney. Uh, the way that Trump has been talking about him has really you know, cross the line into kind of racist and anti-Semitic remarks. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. With how this is playing out. Mm. The thing that that popped into my mind. First of all, the the term that use apocalyptic language. This will be a trial by apocalyptic language and suggestive imagery. I- imagery. That is exactly what's happening because no one's actually looking at the the why. It is the how and the what. And I think that's why. There's, you know, I was just thinking about the last image that I saw and the last headline that I saw was how he will not appear in court in handcuffs, you know, and it's like special treatment as well, that sort of feeling, because that's what all of us who aren't as familiar mm. or, or people who have not really kind of spent time educating themselves on what is actually going on, mm. that's all they're going to see. And that is actually very emotional. So that will trigger people's emotions and as look at what they're doing to him type of feeling versus figuring out that actually he's done something quite wrong. That's right. And I think, you know, I think you're exactly right when you say what people have done to him, right? There's so much 
uh, sense of persecution here and that it's partisan persecution. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, these charges are not super strong charges. I they mean, aren't. Campaign finance violations are typically a misdemeanor, right? And yeah. and yeah. originally when Bragg came into office, uh, there He's had the been, district attorney. The district attorney of Manhattan. There had been an ongoing investigation into uh, the uh, the campaign finance, and they he dropped it uh, initially. Mm-hmm. He dis he, you know he sort of uh, disbanded the grand jury. It caused two of his prosecutors who had been working on it for a long time to quit. And I think what's happened is that you know he got a win with the conviction of the Trump organization on fraud charges. Now it's not Trump, but it's the the family organization. I think that has kind of helped. Um, shore up his resolve. And also, you know, it's clear he wasn't going to bring something unless he thought he could win. But it's still, you know, it's not sort of high crimes. So, Tricia, here's the thing, right? The the other side of this is that uh, his his supporters are saying these these are, you know, these are political motive, politically motivated investigations and charges and the indictment. Um, it's because people don't like him. They've tried to impeach him. That didn't work. Now they're trying this and all that. There, there is a lot of um, – there are a lot of voices out there saying that this is just all about politics and that people that don't like him. And at this point, we haven't seen the unsealed indictment yet, so we don't know exactly what the charges are and, and what's going to be – you know, what's going to be brought forward. But is that a valid argument? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of perception is there's a lot of people out there that don't like him and that would want to see him fall. And this is one way they can do it. Well, I think this is absolutely one of those uh, issues. And there are many in the United States Mm. that is so um, fraught in terms of the political divide. When you look at Democrats, 80 percent of them think the charges should be brought, that he's, you know, that this is reasonable. 80 percent of the Republicans think it is not. Um, And so I don't see how you're going to convince either side of the other's position. Um, And so I think we have to let this play out. I think it will be for those who would like to see, um, you know, some kind of recognition of some of the actions of of Trump over the last four years, uh, particularly around the election, I think it will help if we see um, some of those other districts, Georgia and, and, the, and the feds, um, bring, uh, bring some charges. To give legitimacy. Yeah, to give legitimacy. Yeah. But otherwise, I think we're going to, you know, go in. It's, it's going to be a very strange election cycle. Mm. He is running. How do you run a campaign when, you know, you're Sort in the middle of, of a trial. In the middle of a trial. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, in the United States, and this will be very surprising, I think, to, to listeners outside of outside of the U.S., that he can run if he's convicted. He can serve from jail if he is elected yeah. and, and, you know, imprisoned. Uh, you know, no law charges, against it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. OK, we got to move on. Sorry, we spent a lot of time on that, but um, a little bit more than probably we had planned to. This next story is really interesting because we've been following the Ukraine invasion by Russia, obviously, for over a year now. Finland has now become the 31st, will become the 31st member of NATO um, after Turkey's parliament voted to approve the application. Um, it has one of the longest borders with Russia. And this is, of course, what Russia has been fearing, which is NATO expansion in its neighborhood and the perceived its perceived threat of that. Uh, what do we know? Um, how, you know, this is a big deal, right? It is a big deal. And it's what's really stunning about it is that for years and years, Finland was absolutely 
dead set against NATO, right? They mm. maintained – Against joining NATO. Against joining yeah. NATO. Sorry, yeah. against yeah. joining NATO. They maintained a stance of absolute neutrality, non-alignment. For them, they – their calculation was that that was the best way to deal with with Russia, that they had more sort of room for maneuver being outside. What's happened is that with the, uh, with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, public opinion and political leaders in Finland changed almost overnight. We went from 30 percent favoring NATO uh, membership among the population to, you know, huge numbers in favor. Yeah. And it's also... Vladimir Putin's actions drove right. Finland to want to be in NATO when they didn't want to be before. And what is ironic is yeah. that one of the arguments for going into Ukraine was to stop eastward expansion of NATO. And in fact, what it has done <laughs> is is made sure that eastward expansion yeah. of NATO happened. You mentioned the border. It's a 1,300-mile-long border. Wow. And one of the things that it does is it really gives NATO an awful lot of real estate in the Baltic, right? So now mm. Russia has only a tiny little bit of the Baltic near St. Petersburg and Vladivostok. Wow. Um, what do we expect the Russian response to be? I haven't seen Vladimir Putin comment on this, but I would imagine if he hasn't already, he will be soon. Well, they have, so they have promised a military response. But mm. of course, you know, when we think about that border, with the, that border, um, those troops are not there now, right? Those troops are now in Ukraine. Um, mm. And so mm. it really seems to be a bit of a paper tiger uh, to threaten that. Um, I think, you know, for NATO itself, um, it shows uh, how quickly they can come together. The last time, uh, the last, the the last member, uh, North Macedonia, that process took two years. Wow! If if Turkey and Hungary hadn't objected to Finland, we finally got Turkey's accession um, yesterday, the day before. You know, it would have happened in ninety days, and that and that's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. Our last uh, quick topic here: bad air in Thailand and um, uh, northern Thailand. Millions of people have uh, been under duress because of widespread farm burning, forest fires, creating smog that's thicker than usual, choking communities, exposing them to respiratory disease in uh, Chiang Rai province uh, up, up north outside of Bangkok. Um, it, it's really, uh, you know, we haven't seen this kind of burning here in Singapore in a number of years because of all the rain we've been having, the El La Nina, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's because of the La Nina uh, years that we've had. But this is really, I mean, the, the photos in the in the newspaper are just like what we We've seen here in years past. It's a really terrible situation in northern Thailand. Um, one day recently, the particulates in the air were 125 times what the World Health Organization wow. considers safe. And it's you know it's true. The other day, before before this news came out, I noticed on my phone my Haze app, and I haven't looked at it literally in years. Right. Um, but what's interesting, yeah. I think about about the Thailand situation. Yes, there are farmers burning things, but this is not a Thai problem. This is a transborder. Problem. And if you remember from you know back to 2015 and things when we had the haze, it was coming from Indonesia or coming from Malaysia, wherever. You know this was, you know we have environmental health, all kinds of issues that cross borders. And I think one of the things that we're seeing is a call to ASEAN. You know, can ASEAN make a difference here? Because mm. the haze that's 
plaguing Thailand right now is not just Thai farmers. It's farmers in Laos and Cambodia yeah. and Vietnam. And in fact, the um, the Secretary General of ASEAN happens to be in Bangkok yesterday and today. And one of the things that the Thai Prime Minister has said is that this needs to go on ASEAN's agenda. Now, we know that there's a 2002 uh, ASEAN Accord on mm. trans border uh, pollution, pollution or whatever. Yeah. but it hasn't been very effective. And so I think one of the things that we, that we really want to really look, at look at is, you know, is this the time for ASEAN to help find a solution to this? Wow. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I want to just jump sure. in and say, because I was looking at the article and it does say that it's a trans-border thing. But in Thailand, I think the prime minister is going after <clears throat> the people who are responsible, i.e. farmers. And the point of this is that if anything's going to come of it, you cannot take away the livelihood of farmers, but you need to actually empower them to be able to clear their lands in better ways. This is cheaper and it's faster, yeah. and that's why it keeps happening. Yeah. And all these years, nothing has actually been done to actually empower farmers. And that's what I want to hear is going to happen as ASEAN. What are we mm. going to do about that? Mm. Yeah. Trisha, we have to leave it there. Trisha Craig of Yale NUS College, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.